Welcome everybody to episode nine. Uh, wow, crazy scooting along here. Uh, this one's going to be fun though. This one we've been waiting on for a while and um, I know this is one of Clink's favorite things to talk about. So it's going to be a good one. Uh, but before we dive into... Yeah, real quick. Uh, <clears throat> we got invited to speak at the NSCA uh, Tactical Strength Conditioning Conference this August at the M, I believe it's the 22nd through the 25th mm-hmm. of August, and uh, we will be presenting on the 24th, 24th at 1100. Yep. That's uh, awesome. Kind of a, not as in-depth as all of these have been, but uh, pretty much same realm, right? Yeah. Same same idea. So uh, love to see as many folks out there as possible. So uh, jumping into today. Introducing technology into the fire service uh, to help address the health and wellness of firefighters. This is uh, kind of the fun part of what we get to do and being able to bridge the gap between professional athletes and firefighters and really addressing tactical athletes. So there's a lot of stuff out there. There's some things that are newer that are just now hitting the market. We're going to interview a few folks. Um, then there's some things that have been around for a while that just have really stood the test of time. So um, we're going to talk about this in three different phases. We're going to talk about the things that you can purchase yourself as firefighters uh, and being able to manage your own health and wellness. Um, Then leading right after that, we'll go into subscriptions that you can purchase from local businesses, things that you don't necessarily have within your house, but you can Um, It's worth paying the whatever, 40, 50 bucks for a subscription to a local business that's able to provide you uh, the necessary resources to take care of your well-being. Um, And then we will end with uh, discussing some uh, technologies that your department should be purchasing or looking into to help um, evaluate their current firefighters and being able to um, manage them and evaluate them properly so that when they are hurt or injured, um, we can do some preventative care on the front end and then get them back to where they should be uh, when things do go south. So uh, with that being said, let's dive right into some things that uh, you all could be or should be uh, purchasing yourself. Uh, the first thing that um, I have down here, as you guys have seen, um, I have this aura ring on. Uh, some of you, some of my counterparts have uh, a whoop band. Um, I can't wear anything on my wrist. It just is uncomfortable. Um, So in order to sleep, um, I was able to obtain one of these aura rings. Um, How'd you get that aura ring, by the way? (laughs) Won it in a raffle. (laughs) It's awesome. Uh, We were at the Tactical Athlete Conference last year, and we're sitting there. We go to the breakfast, and I put my name on this slip, and I'm like, there's no way. I believe you did it too, yeah? Yeah, I won an Atlas ball, like a huge 50-pound Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That my kids just push around the house like they're Sisyphus. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the the thing for me was that prior to even uh, getting one of these, I, it was uh, yeah, it was a gift, obviously. But the the side of realizing, even with all of this stuff, is none of it is a. There's no magic button. There is no magic pill. There isn't any of this technology that's going to fix something or prevent anything. Um, it is understanding yourself, um, which I didn't really understand until I got this ring and then simultaneously started training for a triathlon. 
then I started to really put two and two together. Um, and really, uh, I'm going to pull up uh, the report here that, that the ring will provide you uh, when you're woken up. This was, um, we had two fires overnight um, on truck six one night. We had one at about 11, as you can see the white spike there. Um, get back, lay down, go to sleep, then it'll show you the difference between your uh, light sleeping, deep sleeping, REM. Uh, then we pop another fire at 2 o'clock. Uh, you can see it pop back up there again. Um, the reason why I enjoy having um, these reports is being able to confirm the way I feel. Prior to that, it was like, God, I don't, I'm tired, or I, didn't, I don't feel like I slept that well. Or the other way, where I'm kind of like, why do I feel like I'm groggy? Maybe I didn't sleep that great in my rings. Like, yeah, no, you got a solid seven and a half hours, and your sleep score was an 88. So that's not the reason. So now I'm looking more into fuel and nutrition right. and those types of Hydration, things. Hydration. Hydration. So yeah. it's something other than my sleep. Um, so along with that, I, I know it says there that that uh, that night my uh, lowest heart rate would drop down to 53, which I knew from training previously when I slept at home, my lowest heart rate while I slept on average was about 48, 46 to 48. So I never even really got into true rest. Um, so that segues really into the next portion of having a heart rate monitor. The Polar H10 has been around for a while now. It's right here, this little red band here. Um, and when I started training for an Ironman and really understanding cardiovascular health was what led me to start training in zones. And when we were at that conference, there was a gentleman there discussing um, cardiovascular health and how prior to this, I would just go out and see, I'd punch it. That, that's what training is, is yeah, just go out and gun it and see how long you can last. And that's actually not how it works. So being able to do, um, I believe he, the doctor there that had spoke at the conference last year, had recommended um, four times a week, um, at least 30 minutes in zone two. Um, I'll, I'll pull up the heart rate zones uh, for those of you that are not on YouTube. I apologize. You can Google it. You'll see the different uh, zone variabilities and then uh, what they're used for and what is accomplished in each zone. I think uh, especially with this, like being in zone two, doesn't mean that you're on a bike or running or anything. I mean, there's a whole bunch of activities that you could do to be in zone two. Like you could pull a sled and you could do a ruck. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you have grass and a lot of it, mowing your yard, you'd probably be in zone two on a warm day outside pushing a lawnmower. You know, so there's there's options as far as uh, how to achieve that that aren't just suffering. If you like, I, I hate being on a treadmill. Mm -hmm. I hate being on a stationary bike for a long time. I hate. I refuse to be on elliptical unless I'm injured. You know what yeah. I mean? Stair mill is yeah. the same way. I'd rather run stairs and be on a stair mill. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So uh, there's a, there's options out there. So zone two, that zone two cardio isn't limited to how we perceive cardio to be. It's just yeah. keeping your heart rate in that target zone. Yeah. And a lot of people have watches. The Apple watch does it. I have a polar around here that I wear. Um, just know that the, the H10 being that it is obviously directly across your chest just provides a more accurate reading um, and will, you know, kind of remind you to, to calm down, to not, you know, even depending on, because I throw a lot off by music. 
I'll be listening to music and then a, a song comes on or a chorus or something that, you know, hits you, that button. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you start, you don't realize you go from a nine minute mile to a six and a half minute mile and you're like, oh, no, I still have to run for two hours. I can't do that. So right. it keeps you honest. Um, definitely a, a reminder. And then sometimes when you don't feel like working out and you're kind of like lackadaisical going through something, it, it'll definitely remind you that you're, you, you're sitting at 88 beats per minute. You should probably get moving. Right. So. Awesome tool to have. Uh, it's actually funny because zone two cardio is like 60 to 70% max heart rate, mm -hmm. right? So uh, the next item we have is, uh, this is actually called, uh, there's accelerometers, there's, uh, I forget what the other ones are called, but it, there's there's tools that you can use to measure bar speed, uh, for oh, barbell speed. Barbell speed, yeah. So uh, if you're interested in, in like, training plans uh dr brian mann he's now at the university of miami he was my strength coach at the university of missouri um he's kind of like the most sought after collegiate coach on velocity-based training and the the cool thing about velocity-based training is that uh where traditional barbell training even like even like an undulating plans is all based off of percentage-based lifting so if your one rep max is, you know, 200 pounds uh, on bench press, this week you might come in and have to do 90% for three singles. So you'd have to lay down and do 180 pounds three times. Well, if we get off that night, you got off a of truck six and had not slept, were wasted. The only day you have free to, to bench press heavy is that day. There's no way you're going to lay down and be able to do 180 pounds, right? What you will be able to do is move that bar in a speed range that is equivalent to a 90% effort. Does that make sense? Yep. So the cool thing about uh, these, these devices, so this device here uh, is an open barbell. I've had this for six years now, right? Uh, I, I broke it a couple of times. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, But it's got a magnet. And it locks on to, you can use like a plate. And then this uh, this tether goes to your bar. You can't feel it. Like it's, there's no weight pulling down on it. But what it's doing is it's measuring uh, distance and time and giving you essentially your speed measurement. And it measures everything in meters per second. So the idea is that you start, could because we are never going over the course of our careers, unless you like leave suppression and go to an administrative function, the variability of your sleep and nobody sleeps good at a fire station either. Like you just said, like the rest of the time you were asleep, your heart rate was elevated, like yeah. opposed to like how it normally gets. I'm, I'm, what's it normally at home? Is it lower than? Oh yeah. I'm usually, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. like you're probably in your thirties, I would assume at home yeah. sleeping, right? Nobody ever rests at a fire station. Uh, your hydration could be off. You fight a fire in July in the desert and uh, you're sweating more than you know what you're doing. You know, so like your hydration could be off. Your nutrition could be off. Uh, you could be stressed out about something that's happened. To, or, I mean, there's, there's so many variables, right? Mm -hmm. And so what they found in professional and collegiate athletes, and this is why Brian Mann's been so successful, is that you can still mimic that that strength stimulus that you need to hit based off of speed and not off of a weight and still 
gain, make gains, right? Like you can still get stronger, you can still get faster. And then you can identify uh, where you lack, right? So like if you needed to increase your speed and you're like uh, how fast you produce a movement, you can do that with this device. So like Olympic lifting, I keep, I keep ranges uh, depending on, because it also, because it is a measurement of distance, uh, you have to factor in sometimes like your height. So like I'm, at, I'm six foot four. Somebody who's five foot four is going to have a much shorter distance to pull. So me, with a longer distance, I need to move, make my speed profile faster because I'm pulling for so much longer. So uh, with Olympic movements, uh, you can you can stay in a range. And the neat, the nice thing is too, uh, you you undulate or you through your program, and it's uh, it's all based off of speed. So if I didn't sleep the night before. I can go in and I'm looking for a speed, like a speed number with the movement, not so much the weight, yeah. which you'll always be able to produce. Like if you needed to go down and do 12, 12 sets of two yeah. uh, at, at, you know, 60% of your one rep max, you can look and see that's, that's probably like a 0.8 meters per second is what you're shooting for. So if you're a little bit above, a little bit below, that's fine. Like it's just the range that's important because you're getting that work done. That and makes sense. It, yeah, and again, like the heart rate monitor keeps you honest. It keeps you honest, and it's 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 provides a lot of insight, right? Like when you train with this thing, you'll have a rep that felt super fast, but in but you were jerky, you didn't have a good bar path movement, uh, or you'll have a rep that you're like, ah, it felt slow, and it was fast. the fastest rep you've ever had because you were super efficient, yeah. and that's why I, it felt I slow. Did not like that when we were training with that. Yeah, and it just was. But when you talk about uh, efficiency and form. You can get a, you can actually get millimeters. So I can see, I can, I can look over a set of a, of a barbell movement and I can see what my fastest time was. I can see what my fastest movement up, my fastest peak velocity of a single lift was. I can see what my fastest velocity of an entire set was. I can see the bar travel. So I can see, did I short that rep? Right. Did I like how, how, it's all made, measured in millimeters too. So I can see that I move the barbell 200 millimeters on that press or did I shortchange it? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You can technically do a, a static vertical jump off of this. You can't do a counter movement jump because the, the dip down will start recording. But mm -hmm. if you locked in at a static position and wanted to get a vertical, you could see I did a 800 millimeter vertical jump. So I'm sitting at whatever that is like, 27 or 28 inches. I don't know. Something, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, so. yeah. And there's, and there's other, we're, we're, uh, didn't have it on the deal to talk about today. Um, perch. perch. Remember perch that we yeah. were talking about? Perch. They have those, uh, cameras that mount to squat racks, which are in a lot of different, uh, yeah, colleges now. There's really three different versions of these. Like this is the, the later version of this open barbell actually measures bar path in a 360 degree realm based off of like, whatever science is inside there, but like <laughs> you've got, you've got these that are actually tethered, like the Tendo, uh, the old gym wares, I think were this open barbell, but then you've got like accelerometers that are like clips that clip onto the barbell somehow, either it's a clamp or it's an actual clip that you just secure to it. And it measures the, uh, the, the movement and speed. And then you've got like gym or the perch mm -hmm. and then the newer gym aware stuff, which is all, Camera, camera based. based and it and that's that's where the magic is i mean that's a little probably out of most people's mm -hmm. 
price range. Like this was a couple hundred bucks, yeah. but like the uh, gym aware is a pretty extensive platform that measures, you know, bar travel, like body position and then speed. Yeah. And it's, it would, it's, it would definitely be the, those two products specifically with the camera based movement screenings would fit under the items. The department should purchase if sure. you have a facility, Yep. Uh, especially for, and then that's a big rehabilitation thing too, is being able to see, especially if we collect data on movement patterns and stuff and we can get a, a library of like pre and post, yeah. like one of the return to duties, even if it's light, just a, like an overhead squat with a barbell. Yeah. As silly as that is, that's a very tough movement to do. Yeah. But when you're getting like, uh, I know at Redmond, uh, four years ago now, wow. Um, it was a department in Canada, I believe it was Ontario, um, started implementing, uh, mandating, uh, deadlift seminars because they found that instead of looking at the deadlift as this evil, Oh my God, we could never, um, they reduced their back injuries by 50% in a year from proper lifting from deadlifting. So now if we have a movement screening camera that we are right out the gate with your new recruits, your new hires, and that's something that we're doing weekly, biweekly, whatever it is, we implement the foundation of lifting proper instead of the generic uh, lift with your leg, not your back. Well, no, here's a camera that'll show the bar path and how you properly develop the strength, which would then tie into we can go into speed, we can go into these types of things for us to address those issues. And like the perch, <clears throat> it's got this comprehensive online platform that you can then see like, I mean, like I think a movement screening, we'll get into that later, but then you can, you can compare pre and post injury, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. going to get on the, I feel like at some point we need to be at a place in the fire service that we're actually like athletes, right? Yeah. Everybody gets on the platform on your football team, yeah. everybody. Yeah. And there's, and I, I played before all this existed. I mean, like I caught the, like the introduction to the Tendo, mm-hmm. which was, I, I mean, it it was super simple. I mean, it's that, but it's, uh, it, it didn't give you this huge, like the, even this links to an app and I have an Excel sheet. I can look at, I can look at like the speeds of all my hang cleans, all my snatches, all my bench press, all my deadlifts. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can see like the bar, like what, what my, uh, velocity, peak velocity, mean velocity per set. I can see how far the bar traveled. Uh, so I could diagnose stuff over time, but then you could build like the, the camera based stuff has such a, uh, comprehensive platform that you can, you can go down to like, Hey, is my right side and left side moving as it did a year ago? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I like the simplicity of it. If you have a program that calls for five reps or eight reps and you get to rep five and it's getting ugly. It'll like green, green, mm-hmm. yellow, stop. Yep. I don't care if you have to get to eight. You're falling apart fundamentally. Yep. We're going to go ahead and scrap that. So now you're you're being able to limit the injuries from poor technique just from a camera that's mounted up above a squat rack. is it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, uh, I think those were all of the... And you guys can see here the stuff that's laying around here. The Normatec, uh, the Theragun... The, the roller, the vibrating foam roller, and then the sleeves. Um, you've had the sleeves now for a year, two years. 
Yeah, a little over two. And what do you think? Who, uh, who uses them? <laughs> so the cool thing about those is uh, you can control the zones. Like my my daughter, who's 10, will have soccer tournaments. And in between tournaments, I can turn off the top zones because she ain't quite tall enough yet to fill them out. But the cool thing about Normatech is it's uh, it, it's it's like a massage. It flushes out the system. It, you feel rejuvenated after you get in them. So this is a zone here? That's a zone, yep. And then and you'll so turn this off. I can so turn her that off. Legs can fit. Yep. And she can. Uh, I, I don't think I've met anybody that hates those. Uh, no, not at all. I've no, like, I think them. We, we had a te- we tested them at a station. We had to essentially pry people out of them. Yeah. Like, hey, you're going to get a clot. You've been here for like eight hours. Yeah, it's supposed to be two mi- 20 <laughs> minutes, not two hours. Um, yes, but the flushing from those, that, that, that constriction and then the relaxing that vasoconstriction and being able to flush everything out of your legs um with inflammation um awesome tool and easy super easy you put your legs in them you zip them up most of the time uh when speaking with the company with the uh, conferences and stuff they do they don't even unzip them they just leave them zipped up and you put them on like pants and and turn a little doohickey on and and off it goes um so Cool. Those are the things that uh, some a few of the items uh, that you can purchase yourself uh, to help hold yourself accountable uh, and look after your well-being. Uh, now some some memberships, some things that uh, there should be some places nearby uh, that you can get these items. Uh, the first thing is red light therapy. Red light therapy is fascinating. Like I haven't I haven't joined a place yet to start doing it. Uh, I know that there's a huge push in the pro sports world to kind of bring it in house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sat in, I've sat in one once. Uh, Where was it? It was at uh, a place I go for cryo and massage, and they had a, a red light therapy. It looks like a tanning bed. That's what I was going to say. So for those of you that don't know where to find these, if it's not in your cryo place, at least here where we are. <laughs> Rio Tan, there's Rio Tan and another tanning place in town. Like the tanning salons have these red light therapies because a lot of red cell rejuvenation um, they're finding for healthier skin and women are more in tune with rejuvenating skin and wrinkles and all that stuff. But the fact that it's much deeper than that, which I'm sure you'll you'll go into. Like supposedly like your growth hormone production goes through the roof. I mean like uh, it's supposed to repair and replenish tissue. I mean, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Like, and there's a good bit of research on it. So I I haven't, like I said, there's a place I haven't joined yet, but the, the place that I was going that had a bunch of cryo chambers, which I like, I like Mm -hmm. going to, I like getting frozen for two minutes. Two minutes. Yeah. I can do anything for two minutes. Longest 30 seconds of your life is that last 30. Oh man. (laughs) But, uh, they were getting rid of their cryo chambers. To bring in more red light stuff. Seems like, like red light and uh, hyperbaric chambers are kind of the route of pushing, where it's yeah, going. Yeah. If you can find a place that has everything, send me an address. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so that, I mean, we did talk about cryo chambers. That's yeah. another one. That one is is out there. Um, it's been out there for a while now. I'd probably say five, six years it's and, been picking up. I talked to uh, uh, Bo Sandoval over at UFC. He's the director of like sports performance over there. Um <sighs> Cryo chambers are awesome if people can't tolerate ice tanks, right? So like the people who can't get in ice tanks and calm down 
and receive benefit from it. Uh, they're finding that the, the cryo chambers offer a very similar therapeutic response, but it's obviously it's a bigger hassle. Like you have to, you know, cover your feet and wear shorts and cover your hands mm -hmm. and you have to have a hazmat license because is that liquid nitrogen? Yeah. I mean like yeah. it, there's all kinds of opposed to just having a feed tank with ice and water in it. So I mean like your cost is exponential, yeah. but people who can't get inside of a, a cold, a cold plunge and like calm their breathing and relax are going to find in the who, cause it was, I'm sure you saw it during two days. There was, did they set out ice tanks for you after two a day practice? Yeah, the big, big horse trough yeah. things. Yeah. It was like the huge metal kitty yeah. pools, right? Yeah. And we'd push blocks of ice back and forth to each other. We would it have was awesome. We had the O lines, which was our. It was like, like I don't know how they got it to thirty one degrees. I mean, it was like the coldest tank they could possibly have, mm -hmm. and then everybody else's. And uh, the O line, we'd just walk over there and jump in, and we'd push the fruit cart close to us we dump a cooler full of like gatorades and waters into the tank and we'd sit out there for 40 minutes after practice just eating fruit and yeah hydrating the wide receiver tank maybe had an ice cube in it and they would like put their feet in and then walk into the <laughs> you know what i mean so maybe they they enjoyed they would enjoy the cryo benefits a little bit better because yeah. they didn't want the the cold water therapy yeah. like, i feel like it's easy when it's 100 degrees outside and 80% humidity and you've been outside for three hours to get inside ice tanks. But it does take a second to get you. It takes a couple of times to get used to that. That It's <sighs> way easier than like first thing in the morning or like being out at like, can you imagine like in the winter jumping in like those polar plunge folks that yeah. are, it's, there's no warmth for a long time after you yeah. strip down to your shorts and jump into a frozen lake. No. You know what I mean? There's, there's no warmth anywhere close for you. Which goes into uh, the fire and ice concept, yeah. um, which in college we did have. I mean, inside of our treatment center was yeah. our hot tub was literally three feet from our cold tub. Oh, yeah. You can do contrast, a uh, lot of good therapeutic stuff from contrast. And you can do some of this at home, right? Like you could, you could get in your hot, hot, hot shower and then fill your bathtub up with cold water and yeah. some ice. And you could do it yourself, but... Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I don't want to get into uh, like the just the amount of ice you would need to get it cool. I mean, I think the therapeutic index between thirty-five and fifty or fifty-five degrees of water temperature isn't isn't huge, but I don't know. It's nice to or be able to use like a sauna. You could go from like an infrared sauna to a an ice tank. Like that would be a another fire and ice contrast uh, experience. So. Uh, there's actually a fire nice experience where I go, the next one's float tanks. Going to just shut my mind off at uh, a float. If any of you know, it's a, they're like a, a 10 by 10 hot tub that's maybe a foot. And it's got a, it's got a seal. Kind of looks like a little spaceship, right? Nah, it the, shuts. The, I wish. I wish mine were like little pods. Mine's like a, a room. You just go into this room. And it's got like a one ton of salt inside of this like 10 by 10 by 18 inch bathtub. So you just float. Yeah. Like don't shave your face before you go. Pitch black? Pitch black. I've never done it. I, I want to. Pitch I've, black. I've never done it. Uh, I fall asleep in there. Nuh-uh. I do. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I usually get down and I'm out, and then the, the, they play uh, they play a Bob Marley song to wake you up, and it's like the lights come on real slow. But it's uh. So would you say that the float tank? is more of a physical or psychological benefit? I'd say it's probably psychological. You know, it's like a, I, I breathe, I, I focus on my breathing for a bit when I'm in there. Uh, but it's like decompression. Like I just, uh, I, like I said, I, I don't fall asleep instantly, but it's, it's uh, I fall asleep during the whole process. I would venture to say <laughs> two minutes and you're gone. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so that's, that's another one. So we have uh, red light therapy. Cryo chambers, float tank, uh, and any contrast, a fire and ice concept. Um, so these these are things that are around you all. And then if you maybe all have some input or insight uh, to different therapies that people can join, uh, we tried to keep it to technology because I know we would we would uh, obviously recommend having a physical therapist on all. You don't need to be injured to have a physical therapist. No. That is something that is a concept that needs to be broken um it's if it's an ache pain um as one of our co-workers say uh i got one body why do i want to live in an ounce of pain yeah. uh, it doesn't make any sense um dry needling um stem there's there's massage there's, therapy i mean all these things are should be stuff that you you incorporate to take care of yourself right like the in the physical therapist thing even if you go once a month right and you're pain free there's something that you could be working on constantly to improve yourself yeah you know yeah all righty uh so now let's dive into uh products that your departments can purchase uh to help uh rehabilitate your firefighters uh, be able to get a baseline on them um whether that's during pre-hire or even annually during their 1583 um physicals or 1582 um and one of those companies is vault um, we're going to bring on some guests, have them explain uh, what their products do for, for firefighters and the tactical population. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring on Anthony with Vald. Hey, Anthony, how are you? I'm good, guys. How are you doing today? Good, good. man. Thanks for being on. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Really looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Um, so just really quickly, uh, what does Vald Technology specialize in? Yeah, so Vault Performance is an objective testing and measurement company. We have a, a range of eight different products that deal with strength, movement detection, blood flow restriction, speed and timing gates. And what we really try to do is create an ecosystem of products that really allow anybody to, to assess their movement and their movement quality. So that way you, you could find ways to at least stratify risk for injury and then hopefully then build that build that knowledge base to really prevent potential future injury, improve rehabilitation, or overall just monitor performance across a large span. So we, we've done that pretty well within the tactical space, um, first responders, um, but that's also on top of all the sport performance health side as well. So we, we've talked about like, uh, I guess kind of how we envision using your force plates. I guess for our listeners, can you kind of describe uh, specifically what the force plates are and how other uh, like tactical populations are utilizing your products. Yeah. So our, our particular force plates are called the force decks. The force decks are basically a dual force plated system. So sometimes you think about force plates, it's just, you know, a really big bathroom scale on the ground. Um, but because of the dual force plates, you basically get a left side and a right side. 
So anytime anyone's standing on it at any given point, it's going to capture how much weight is going through their left side, how much is the right side. So if you're doing really any series of movements, it's going to really detect everything in between. So the way that certain fire departments are using this is going to be a, a few different movements. One is a counter movement jump. So just as simple as either starting with your hands in the air, starting with your hands in the hips, going down into a deep squat and exploding through the ground. And then based off of the landing, now you're gonna be able to get a lot of different measures from that, whether it's uh, how much you load into the force plates before you explode away from them up into the air, how long it takes them to be in the air. And then obviously when it comes down, how, a, how they're able to attenuate or dissipate the, the force that is coming with whatever's either if they're loaded and have something on their back, as well as even just their natural body weight. And there's a lot of different measures that you could take from that. And so, and we can even dive a lot deeper into that, but just from the, just from that one jump, you know, you can get an understanding of the left and right asymmetry, the rate of force development, their jump height, their landing forces, and, and being able to put that even against their body mass, how much force is going through, let's say easy numbers, they're a hundred pound person and they have, um, they, they land and all of a sudden have another 200 pounds going through it. Now it's two times body weight in their landing forces. And so you know, we, we try and stratify that and say, well, is that good for that particular person? Is that maybe, you know, something that's a little bit too much that's going to create so much load through their hips, through their ankles, through their knees, that over time that could actually be a, a potentially a bad thing. So that's just on one counter movement jump. Uh, the other metrics that you can do on the force plates are going to be what's called a, a mid-thigh pull. So a, a little bit easier for probably some of the older uh, firemen to do because, you know, a lot of jumping, a lot of landing, that's already, you know, if they've already had knee pain, hip pain, back pain, um, then a counter movement jump might be actually a pretty a significant movement. But then the mid-thigh pull is basically them having a stationary fixed surface to where now they're pulling through a bar and then creating as much force as they can through the ground. And now what that's going to do is it's going to give you a really good understanding of their overall raw strength and force production. Um, it's a lot less vulnerable to the joints, but it gives you just as much, and potentially the research shows just as much data to be able to assess and create this idea of like, what do we need this person to do in the future? Um, really quickly, because uh, lower back injuries specifically uh, in the fire service um, seem to be a really big problem. Um, being a physical therapist yourself, is what measurement from the Vault products would we be able to possibly prevent a back injury? Yeah, so it's a it's a loaded question, right? Because any one measurement, if there was a holy grail one measurement or one test to do, well, then I think we'd all probably know about it by now, right? So uh, I think the key here in any form of testing, it's going to be looking at a series of measurements and looking at those measurements in the context of that person, right? So, you know, if you were to look at it in force plates, if, if we fundamentally think about what a force place does, it's just the amount of ground reaction force kind of taking Newton's law, the amount of force going down into the ground, there's got to be that same amount of force equally and opposite going right back up. And so if you're looking at a mid thigh pull, let's say, for instance, if you're looking at a counter movement jump, these are these high volume or these high uh, measures to where you're looking at multiple joints and so how does that translate specifically to the back i think that's why we don't have that perfect answer yet of saying okay how do what is the best thing to do for that particular person however 
you know, taking into consideration like a mid-thigh pull, I think that does a pretty good job of assessing someone's raw strength in through the core in the back because you can theoretically um, – you could look at it in several different angles. Let's say if you're lifting up a 300 pound person who fell on the floor uh, and you got that call to go and, and help lift them up, you know, that's going to be a really high arching of the back. And then they're going to have to create a lot of force from that low point. So you could set up a mid thigh pull where the mid thigh pull is technically defined as being in the middle about, you know, 30 degrees knee flexion, hip flexion, but you could set up that same type of pole movement from a low flex position where your knees are really bent your hips are really bent and your back is rounded and you can take a look at how well they're able to generate force from that low position and then compare it to other positions as they become more erect and saying hey if they're putting a lot more force through their left side than the right side when they're really bent down but it's when they're straight up now we have a really good understanding of okay well that's probably why they have this higher risk of pain and why they're having a much bigger issue when they're in these kind of more vulnerable positions than just say a, a standard movement. And, and so like uh, initially we were looking at that vault, uh, your vault system for objective annual fitness assessments, but you could also use your entire line of products for rehabilitation too. Like, like you just said, like somebody has like a spinal fusion, right? And they're nervous about getting in that low picking the patient up off the ground, like below that nine and a half inch deadlift, right? To initiate a start, you could, you could measure their force production in that and see if there's a deficiency. I mean, obviously there'd have to be some sort of series of trending, right? We'd have to take measurements, you know, over the course of somebody's career, but we could, we could measure how much output they could produce. And I guess you also get rate of force development too, right? You could see how fast they initiate the movement, uh, in addition to like what, what actual, I know I'm all over the place right now cause I'm excited yeah, about you, it, but <laughs> what, uh, so many what's, opportunities. Yeah, so many, what is, uh, what is the isometric mid thigh pull measured in? Yeah. First so off? great questions all around. So yeah. first I, I even go back to your initial point of talking about just force output. So we've talked about how the force decks are really good for dynamic movements, right? You can look at a jump, you can look at a drop jump, a squat assessment even, um, and then the mid thigh pull itself. And that's going to be for the full body. Cause if we take any one in particular joint, a shoulder, a knee, a hip, you know, the force plates are going to have a good way of doing that. But as long as there's a particular protocol, sorry, I don't think there's a, a, a vacuum going on back here. Um, so if you were to take a look at the whole protocol, it, it's hard to inter create an intersegmental of like what joint is that specifically. But then if you take now our dynamometers, our isometric dynamometers, we have two different ones, the force frame and the dynamo specifically. Now those are where you can assess force output at a specific joint level. And so if you wanted to look at, let's say someone's grip strength, if you wanted to look at someone's elbow strength or shoulder strength, back strength, then you would use in one of our other products to look at what is that peak force? or potentially what is their, their average force or their impulse over time, which tells you a better understanding of endurance, right? So if we, you know, a large piece of what we see when it comes to testing, like we were talking about, um, you know, baseline testing for cadets or even just monitoring them over time is that, you know, if you look at anyone's just one, one off measure of peak force, they might be, uh, let's say 200 newtons of force, whereas, or we could call it for sake of um, for ease, 200 pounds of force, which could be great for across the board of normative data for all firefighters, 200 pounds, awesome. But 
if you tested them the day before, the day after, or the next day, they might be averaging around 150 or 145. It's because they just expressed 200 pounds one time doesn't necessarily mean it's a good depiction of what they really can do. And so what our systems do really well is it allows it to be very efficient to test and very easy to have access to testing to where then over time you get a better understanding of their average or their longevity of if I did a five second contraction, yeah, maybe 200 pounds was appreciated within a split second of that five second contraction, but their average contraction or their longevity of contraction was actually more around 150 or 160. That's a better interpretation of when these guys are doing 24 hour shifts, you know, long-term shifts of like, hey, this, you might wanna be able to produce that force once, but you're probably gonna wanna produce that force a lot better over time to produce or reduce that risk of injury. So and good. so for the IMTP, sorry to interrupt, no. um, but just to just to kind of finish up your point of the IMTP, what a nice piece of the IMTP, what does it measure? Is it over, it creates this measurement of your true ability to create force by pulling as hard as you can through your hips, through your knees, through your trunk, um, as well as depending on how you're holding the bar, maybe even through your shoulders as well to give you a better idea of, let's say, rate of force development and peak force and the time to peak force. How long did it take them to get there? Um, and then what was the rate in which you were doing it? So could with with a single movement like the like the isometric mid-dipole, could you get uh, a profile of essentially speed with rate of force development, like peak force and then muscular endurance for how long they could hold before it tapers off to a certain number, like reduces by 50% or something? Could a single... I don't know how long, five, 10 second uh, activity give you insight to speed, strength, and endurance? Yeah, in a, in a lot of ways, it does. It shows you the expression of how that muscle can be contracted and, and whether that's because of the, the motor side, right? Rate of force development is how quickly your brain is able to tell that muscle, let's turn it on and turn it on quick. Um, as well as then that peak force is how much theoretically, if you're every muscle fiber in that muscle could generate up to 200 does your peak force actually hit 200 right and, and that's giving you that peak force but then the average or that impulse over time tells you is like well how long are you able to maintain it and using even those three measures this is what goes back to what we were talking about before for stratification for risk injuries using one measure probably is not going to tell you much more than hey what is that one thing that we're looking at peak force great it's it's great to be able to compare one person to another impulse really good to be able to look at how that person is able to express that force over time rate of force how quickly they're able to do it but putting these combination of metrics together it really allows you to have a better understanding of who that person is in front of me and what does that person actually need not just today but then tomorrow when we reassess and assess again so that's why doing a multi uh, a multi joint movement is probably also in a really good way of uh, assessing someone rather than just a strength measure. But of course, like we said, we have the, the systems to do both if you need it. Yeah. And I think that for, for those of you listening that aren't going to, I mean, cause Tony can nerd out on this stuff all day long if you love it and, and, and it's awesome stuff. But for those of you that don't may understand the, you know, the verbiage of what's going on, the very aerial view of this is so that when we are doing annual assessments, um, and people are coming in. I don't think it's a matter of if someone gets injured. I think it's a matter of when. And we want to eliminate the kinesiophobia as much as possible. So now that we're not, and that's the fear of movement after being injured. 
so that we're not based on a feeling. We actually have data that is a that can prove and give someone the comfort in their mobility where you're, hey, this let's not just get you to a physical therapist to where, how do you think you feel? Well, you know, the average person takes eight weeks to recover. The average, no, before you were injured, these this is what we saw from your isometric mid-thigh pull. Now we need to get our way to, let's hope, probably beyond where we were before so that someone is comfortable with the movement of picking up a patient. Um, so I think that that is the, the general gist of and, and why I love your guys's product is because it does provide so much data that now we can we're not comparing firefighter to firefighter we're comparing the person to themselves if and when something happens and, and, and over time like that's a having a a log because essentially that's the other piece of this right is there's a entire uh you have an entire team of folks right that put together data like just raw data that you can Look at, uh, you know, you can select averages. That's kind of like all the other things we're interested in, right? Mm -hmm. Is like being able to see some, like essentially your folks over time and what's happening with them. And that's kind of a cool service that you all provide also. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think a, a large piece of this now is we're getting to a point to where, you know, we're taking these, these biomechanic lab equipment and putting it right in the middle of, of the departments right next to, you know, some of these squat racks or, you know, uh, weights, ellipticals and things like that to where people are now more in tune with data, right? You're seeing whoop bands, you're seeing aura rings, you're seeing how, you know, all of these little measures that people are tracking over time. It makes intuitive sense when you look at this recovery score or your sleep score. We're trying, and Bald is on this mission to try and do the exact same thing to empower people to understand that data. To your point um, before, Nick, about, you know, this kinesiophobia, it's, okay, if I were to do, let's say, that pull that we talked about from the ground, where we know they had that injury, right? So they were lifting someone, that's where they got injured. They don't want to lift the next person again, even if they've been pain-free for the last three months, where you know, a large part of uh, the data would suggest that that pain event is over. The trauma event in the body is over. Now it's largely about their recovery, both mindset and physical. So that we could say, look, you know, why don't you take this this uh, pull from the ground? And now we can see that you're, you're pulling 700 pounds, right? So that was pain-free. You did it in a really controlled environment. You're pulling 700 pounds. There's not a person out there that's going to be 700 pounds that you're going to lift alone. So now we have the confidence that we can see data-wise that you can lift this amount and nothing happened to your back. Or even in a rehabilitation standpoint, I want you to pull as much as you can until you, you feel a 3 out of 10 out in your back. Maybe it's, it's, it's there, but it's not significant or a 2 out of 10. All right, let's take a look at that. That was maybe 200 pounds. Then the we're training, we're working, and then you pull again, 250 pounds, 300 pounds, 350. So over time, they can start realizing that, hey, you know what, I, I'm doing this and I'm doing pretty well at it, and it's the absence of pain. So this it brings us back to that this data is there, not just data for the sake of collecting data, but to truly utilize it to help improve someone's longevity in their career, make sure that they're reducing the risk of either their first injury or even the recurring injury, but then get them back in a nice, safe environment to allow them to go back to the job that they've, they've always wanted to do. Awesome. Oh, and oh, sorry. No, I was, I was also, I'm also interested. <laughs> I, got, I got all kinds of stuff. Uh, are there any 
tactical populations, police, fire, military that are out there using your products for research that you know of? Because I, I feel like uh, we could we could definitely employ a lot of the products that you offer to kind of test, you know, stresses on the body in the main areas that we hurt ourselves, right? So like getting off the rig, we usually have ankle and knee injuries just getting off the rig. So then we could measure what kind of force the human body experiences essentially by stepping off the rig in class B's, in bunkers, in air pack, stepping off the pump panel with a hose load on your back. And then see if you have the ability to overcome those forces, right? And if you don't, you're probably going to be injured, right? Like, so like, I, I just don't know, are there, are there fire departments or police departments out there that are testing like common injury pathologies with their memberships with your products? Absolutely. So um, I'll give kind of the, the 30,000 foot example, and then I'll go, go into a specific example. So I think the nice part is, is that there are, there are a lot of different research institutions that have uh, built partnerships with nearby fire departments, as well as then vice versa fire departments saying, this is our particular need, and this is what we need to do. And by doing that, and that's across not just fire, but police, as well as then in the tactical space in general. Um, and so from, from the military aspect. And so there's a lot of different ways that we're trying to assess this and look at what, what we call normative data, right? The, the overall, um, I guess, what the normal would be and standard deviations across the, the average and then who's the best and maybe who, who's maybe not as, as good. But then also just looking at it from how does this translate into our day-to-day? Now, that is naturally going to go um, over time a lot better, right? So the more the, the challenge with any research is it takes sometimes months to years to really assess that data, do it in a really validated way, and then you know, analyze the data, create a paper, and then disseminate it out to everybody. The challenge with that, of course, is it's in that controlled environment to make it really good, true research. Whereas now we're getting to a point where each individual fire department can start doing these independent research studies uh, just within the cohort of their own department to say, you know, let's look at this data, let's collect data. And, you know, we maybe don't know exactly what to do with it, that we could go based off of certain guidelines that the research is saying, but then in six months of data that we can use that is our population and then in 12 months now we've doubled the amount of data that we used to have and in 24 months now we've even doubled that and so it you know kind of going back to that point before that i mentioned was like we're bringing the lab now into the day-to-day environment to make it a lot better to make these decisions while while also waiting to catch up with the literature because research just takes that much longer so as i mentioned before one of the examples i'll give is Santa Ana College has a fire academy, and they brought on our our systems to be able to start looking at uh, certain movement qualities, whether that's range of motion and strength, and being able to look at it from the early side of their cadets and, and some of their students going into the academy, but then also bringing in nearby fire departments to then start assessing people who have been in the, the career for whether it's been the job for a couple couple years, but then also the longevity of the career of 5, 10, 15, 20 year vets that are working to do this. And so I, um, I'm really eager to see some of what their data will start looking like. Um, and then all, of course, all of the, the curriculum changes within the programs, but also all the recommendations that they'll have for people uh, nationwide. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you, Anthony. We appreciate you joining us. And, and really quickly for the individuals, if, uh, if someone were to purchase 
your products. They don't need a certification. It's not like an x-ray cert or anything. You all provide the training on the product when they move forward with you all. That's exactly right. So with those um, eight different systems that I had mentioned, a couple of them are free, like our exercise prescription software, uh, our you know outcomes and questionnaires to help with readiness. That's all completely free. Um, our blood flow restriction cuffs are can easily be purchased as a one-off system, and then all of our other systems around strength, motion capture, um, and the the force plates that we talked about. Those are all these subscription side to where with that comes everything under the sun that you would want, whether that's onboarding support, consistent sports science support, you know, not everyone's got a PhD and knows how to look at this data. We want that. We don't want that to be the limiting factor. So we'll come out, we'll train everybody as often as you want. We'll talk through the data as much as you want. And then we have all of the protocols and, and uh, software around it to make sure that you're using it to the best of your ability. Some people say, thank you. I'll take it. Have fun. And we'll, you know, maybe we'll not hear from them for a while. And some people really need that, that kind of initial support either way, no matter under the sun, what it is, we're there for them. And Anthony, I could talk to you for probably about another hour or two, but I probably, uh, well, hopefully we'll catch up this summer, uh, maybe link up and do some special stuff here in town, but appreciate you for your time, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course, guys. Thanks for having me. It was good, good chatting with you guys. Good seeing you guys again. And if there's anything else you guys ever need or, or any of your listeners ever need, feel free to give them our contact information. We've got uh, about 20 different reps across the country. And um, like I, like we had mentioned before, a lot of different fire departments doing it. So if you want any advice, any recommendations of what other people are doing, please don't, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to Bald. But I appreciate you guys. Hope you guys have a good rest of your day. All right, man. Thank, Thank you, you man. All righty. So we're going to move into our next guest. Uh, we have Will with Proteus Motion. Will, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, your guys' product is one that I am completely fascinated by and uh, can't wait to dive into. Uh, so, Will, what what is Proteus Motion for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So Proteus is uh, first and foremost a 3D resistance machine. And, you know, for everyone that's listening, probably the best thing to do right now is go look up Proteus Motion and look at a video of what it actually is. Because whenever I try to explain it, you know, uh, for someone, you know, just from talking about it, they're, the first thing they want to see is what it actually looks like. But essentially, it's a robotic arm that you grab and you can do uh, exercises that are basically the same type of resistance that you get underwater. So with 3D resistance, we've basically created this new type of resistance that creates this basically an opposite um, resistance pattern to whatever direction you move. So if I push it in, right, it's going to give me resistance that way. If I move it in a, like a pat, an arcing pattern, it's going to perfectly mirror my movement with resistance, which is exactly the type of resistance you get underwater. Um, but imagine being able to dial up, you know, the, the density of the fluid, right, to make it thinner or thicker, right? You imagine you can make water, you're doing resistance training, and you can make it uh, more or less resistance. Um, so that's kind of what it does from the training side of things. But the other part of it is because we know where the handle is in 3D space, we can measure everything, power, velocity, acceleration, deceleration, range of motion. We can get all the, this data that because before, you know, before Proteus, when you're doing power and strength and resistance testing, you're only getting data from one plane of movement, right? Even when you lift from a pulley or, or do any kind of testing with a pulley or free weights, 
that resistance is coming from one direction, you know, gravity in the case of free weights or from a pulley, it's the direction of the pulley itself. And so what happens is the resistance that you experience as the user changes as you move through space. Everyone can kind of imagine if you grab a pulley and you're doing like a trunk rotation, right? It's a little easier at the beginning, a little harder in the middle, a little easier at the end, right? Same thing with lifting a dumbbell. Right. You know, everyone experiences that they're trying to get that last rep and they're leaning back because, you know, the resistance is their lever arms are, are different at the bottom of the range versus the top. Um, and so what we've done is basically have it so that the resistance is the same the entire way through. And because of that, it means that you're going to get much higher muscle activation for a longer period of time from a training standpoint. But it also means we can measure everything that's happening because we know we know where you are in 3D space at all points. So essentially it becomes a testing platform and a training platform in, in one. So would this, would the Proteus kind of be like the old Biodex from like the late nineties, early two thousands, yeah. it's an isokinetic machine that, yeah, but that, yeah, that really just know, measures we, joint angles and stuff. Right. Cause that's what, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm sure you lived on a Biodex in college, yeah. right? So, uh, this is kind of more exciting because it's multi-planar, multi-planar, yeah. right? Exactly. So if you think about a biodex, um, biodex is an isokinetic machine and isokinetic for those that don't know, basically just means you set it at a certain speed. That's the isokinetic. So same speed, but then the resistance varies. So you set it to however many degrees per second you can move or whatever. And it adjusts the resistance as you try to make, make that thing move as fast as you can. Right. Um, but the problem with that is, as you, as you mentioned, Tony, is like, they have a very, uh, it's very limited in its functionality, right? You can only do like single joint exercises, you know, uh, you know, knee extensions and bicep curls, tricep type of things. It's hard to do functional movements. With Proteus, we're almost the antithesis of that. Instead of being, um, you know, isokinetic, we're really the most pure form of isotonic. So basically we have, you set the resistance and it changes no matter, or it keeps the resistance the same, no matter how fast you move. So isokinetic is, same speed varying resistance we're same resistance at varying speeds and and no matter what direction you move so it allows you to do chopping patterns and you know twisting patterns and and things that just haven't been able to be loaded before we're loading those better than any other device on the market i say that all the time that i think that we're the best product on the market for loading rotational and triplanar so multi-dimensional movements that, that exists, which is why we've been so successful with, um, you know, baseball is our big sport we started with. Um, then it really came into golf, tennis, uh, MMA, which is a huge one for us. I, uh, there's lots of implications around using it for peak power development, but also for metabolic conditioning um, because it's really, really challenging to use Proteus. Uh, so unlike the biodexes, they were mostly used from like a testing standpoint. We're really, you know, we bring this thing to the 21st century. It's, a, it's got a touch screen and everything like that. It's not these old computer systems and you can test and train on it. It's not just a testing platform. You so, know? so outside of assessment, uh, rehabilitation, right? So like, obviously you just said, like you really work capacity with it. You're measuring different aspects of strength and then, uh, you're using it for rehab too. Correct. Yeah. And actually that's my background. I'm actually a physical therapist. Uh, that's, that's, I actually did my dissertation for my doctorate in on the original prototype of Proteus back in 2010. That's okay. actually my background and how I got involved. And then it became a company, 
a real company. It was just a prototype back then. The you know founders uh, you know took it over from the uh, he's the, the inventor's son basically founded the company and turned you know Im- improved the product, founded it in 2016, and then reached out to people who had done work on the original prototype. And I was one of those people, and uh, I jumped on board because you know I thought it had so much promise. But yeah, I, it's used in rehab, you know, extensively. I, I would say that's our biggest outside of what we would, I would call sports performance. Our next biggest, you know, segment that we work with is rehab, and that's you know, PT, Cairo, really the whole spectrum, the anything in you know, kind of the orthopedic space. Yeah. Um, and it's actually has some unique benefits with that 3D resistance with using it in rehab, because just like aquatic therapy, you can do it earlier in the healing process than you can traditional training because it's uh, what we call concentrically biased. So for everyone who's not familiar with the physiology, there's concentric and eccentric contractions. We mainly are concentric. We load the concentric force from the contraction a little bit more. And that's a safer way to load early in the healing process. It's also really, really good when you're training at really, really high levels of power. So when you're about to return to play or return to your functional activities and you want to develop peak power, it's also a lot safer for developing peak power because there's not as much you have to, uh, you know, if you move our handle really fast in space and you let it go, it just stays there, right? It, it doesn't, you don't have to control it back down to the ground. So uh, it's really safe for both the really, really, early stages of healing, but also peak performance. And then with like an assessment, uh, I'm assuming you get like bilateral differences, right? So like you could do, yeah. you could test a range of motion with your right versus your left, whatever, and then see. Exactly. And then you as a PT then could come in and say, hey, you know, your, your T-spine's limited on this side here. Let's work on whatever, right? So like as an assessment yeah. tool for us to to find these differences in ourselves, uh, that would be an awesome, that's another pretty good application yeah. for your product. So- yeah, the way the software works, it's really essentially we have these different modes. But if you go into the testing mode in particular, it's you know a, a rep based you know test. You there's pre made tests that we've created, but there's also the ability for whoever has the system to set their own test. So if you have a PT and they want to do a shoulder test or a spine test or you know and, and test different movements, they can build those. And then at the end of the test, the machine will take them through the program. So we actually have like, you know, a video of the person doing the exercise. You follow along, you do, you know, you set your range of motion, you do all this, you do the actual exercises. And at the end, uh, the reporting that we have, it keeps track of all your power from this session, from previous sessions. You can track and see if that's getting better or worse. Range of motion, acceleration, velocity, all these data points. And then if you do an exercise on the left and the right side, um, the same exercise, it'll compare the left versus right to show you those diff, uh, imbalances. But the other really cool thing is, and this is for rehab or for sports performance or, you know, tactical athletes. Um, what we, the real power of what we're doing is in our database because it's a web-based product. So when you do a test on Proteus, all the data goes into the cloud. And then at the end, when you're done with the test, you can compare your results to anyone that's done that test or done those movements across our entire network of machines. And basically it'll give you normative value. So you can go in there and say, hey, I'm at the, you do the test, you set your filters. Hey, I wanna compare myself to, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a male, you know, cyclist, you know, which so I'll go in there and I'll go, okay, I wanna compare myself to other male cyclists in their thirties. 
and it'll rank me how I compare to other people like me for each movement. So I'm in the 70th percentile for power or 30th percentile for power for my legs or whatever it is. And then it'll actually take that data and then tell you exactly how you should train to get what's the most efficient way to improve, what are the most efficient exercises you should do both off of Proteus and on Proteus to get better. So the example I always will give is, uh, you know, the most easiest thing for people to understand is you have a, maybe say a golfer or someone, you know, rotational athlete, they'll do a, you know, one of our golf tests, which looks at, you know, leg power, core power, upper body power. It'll then at the end, you compare, you set the filters to compare that person to other golfers in their age demographic or collegiate golfers or pro golfers, whoever you want to compare yourself against. Uh, if you compare yourself to the pros, you're always going to look worse, you know, than if you compare yourself to the, to the average person, right? To, to middle-aged folks. Uh, and then what it'll do is it'll take that power and acceleration data and it'll basically look at it and say, okay, anything that's below this certain threshold of power, those movements, those movement patterns, you need to work on strength for those, right? And then anything above a certain threshold of power, we then look at power versus acceleration and we say, okay, you want to keep getting better, we can work on power um, or speed. And it'll basically recommend what exercise you should do for each movements that you've done, uh, whether they're you should work on strength, power, or speed for those particular areas. Yeah, and, and one of the things that intrigued me uh, the most about the Proteus when you said being able to generate your own test, um, to my knowledge, there isn't a test. There's There's movements that firefighters do across the country. I mean, some of us have our hose loaded differently or whatever, but a high shoulder throw for a 14 or 24 foot ladder that's sitting up on your shoulder to be able to generate the enough force to pop Mm. it up and get it upright. Um, Uh That data isn't collect. We don't know how much force that takes where the Proteus, we would actually be able to generate our own test and be able to evaluate someone's ability to generate enough force, same thing with the door. You know, we we can have sledgehammers. We have different sizes and and, and weights of them. Okay. Same thing with Denver tools. We know that we can get through a door, but to be able to put a number to being able to generate enough rotational force to force whatever material door it is, the Proteus, to my knowledge, is the only product that has the ability to measure that output. Right. Yeah. I mean. Yes, I mean, it, exactly right, because what you could do is simply go to our library of movements that are in our, in our, in our exercises, and you just say, okay, I want to do, uh, you know, this rotational movement or that kind of chopping pattern or whatever it is that both simulates the, those ex- exercises, and then all you do at the end is you would compare that to other tactical athletes, like we actually have now in our database, we literally have, you know, under a tactical athlete, we have different emergency services and military as as a category as like a sport right so essentially what it allows you to do is normalize or or compare to that group and essentially you could say if you're in the you know 90th percentile you're probably getting through that door so so that (laughs) so that's awesome so that even if if a fire department doesn't own the product and a physical therapist office does the person that is visiting that therapist can put in their profession and we would be able to then see that data. Exactly. Okay. Yes, exactly. You know, that's kind of how we built this is that, 
at the end of a test, I can compare myself to whoever I want. So I can compare myself to a golfer or a baseball player at any level or whatever. Now, it doesn't make sense for me to compare myself to some of those things. I don't do those things. But if you're a firefighter, you compare yourself to other firefighters and or other athletes that do similar things. And that's what, you know, really where the power of the data comes into play. And what we're trying to do is really become the new normative data point for pretty much all you know sports and physical activities we want to become that new norm for how you know if you're producing enough power speed acceleration to excel in your activities because if you were a cop you wouldn't want to compare yourself to a firefighter yeah no <laughs> what is, is that what like is, a, is, i just i just witnessed a pig there yeah, yeah that one what is the uh, what is the measurement? Just so everyone is aware, what is it measuring as far as power? Yeah, so power is a function of force times velocity. So we're really looking at the amount of force and the combination of that force and velocity together. That's what equals power. So that's our primary metric. And essentially, think of power as the currency of sport, really physical activity. Now, strength is the what I think of as the foundation. Right? You can't generate power unless you have strength so strength is always first right but then you think about i always think about power lifters versus like nfl athletes right you know ironically power lifters are called power lifters but they're actually kind of slow you know what i mean like they could lift they could squat they could deadlift they could lift things you know these big things but they're pretty slow in what they're doing you look at an nfl player they're strong but they're also powerful right uh, and that means they can add speed to that to that force right? And they have that combination. That's actually what determines how fast you run, how hard you throw, you know, how hard you can punch, how much power, how much, you know, literally how much power you can generate when swinging any implement, whether it's a bat or golf club or an ax or a sledgehammer or whatever, power is more important than just that force production, which is what strength is really measuring. So that's our primary metric. And then we have other metrics like velocity, acceleration, uh, you know, deceleration, even in range of motion, which kind of other very, obviously very important metrics that are looking at other aspects of your physical capabilities that usually are more applicable to certain sports than others, right? And so acceleration, for instance, is really important for baseball because you want to hit that ball you to get your bat speed up by the time the ball hits, you want to get to your peak power sooner. And that's what acceleration is measuring, is how quickly you get to that peak power number. So we've actually found that acceleration correlates to a higher bat speed and ball exit velocity than, say, like just the power number that you generate. Um, and so I'd be really curious to look at all, you know, for what you guys have to do, do that same type of analysis, right? Like what's more important? Is it the how, how, how quickly you accelerate? A sledgehammer, right? Or, or is it just the actual power number? I think it's probably just the power number. Um, but, you know, we could actually look at that over time and see. When you were saying uh, you would perform an assessment and it would give you, like, if, if you compared yourself, <clears throat> the normative data to, like, other firefighters and you were you were low in whatever velocity or your absolute power, whatever, whatever it measured. Sure. And then it, it prescribes for you uh, non-proteus and proteus exercises, what would an average proteus session look like? Like if we, if we were to implement this at our, like a, if we have a division where we have, uh, like our health and wellness center and we had these, uh, uh -huh. we had several proteus machines and we were trying to funnel people in, like what would a proteus 
like how long of a session would that yeah. look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so you always have to start by remembering uh, that you're working both sides of the body at the same time on Proteus. So if I do a pushing movement to get the handle back, I have to pull it back. So I'm actually working my pushing muscles and my pulling muscles in the same, you know, in, in that movement versus if I was say to do the same thing with free weights or a pulley, I push it forward and then I'm using my pushing muscles to slowly return it back, right? That's that eccentric control part portion. So if you're doing like a workout on Proteus, uh, you're working both sides of the body at the same time. So it's actually double the like metabolic stress that you would normally get because you're just having to work both sides at the same time and you're not getting really any rest between each side. So because of that, which is a, it's not a bad thing, but because of that, it is a, uh, because it's more metabolically demanding, the sessions tend to be a lot shorter. Now, what you're doing is also going to depend on the lengths of the session. So if you're going for peak power development, you're going to take a lot of rest between those reps, right? Uh, and if you're going for more of like a metabolic conditioning or basically power endurance is what I would kind of call that. Um, you, maybe you're, you're, you're a cop trying to simulate being in a fight or this is what a lot of our MMA athletes, you know, use it. Um, or someone, any kind of activity where you're having to sustain power for a 30 second burst, you know, minute and a half burst. Um, you're, you're going to, those are going to tend to be a little bit, you know, no rest breaks, but they're going to be a killer. So you know, to, to really answer your question, it depends on what you're doing. But on average, I would say they're about 10 minutes long, maybe 15 minutes. And you're either going to use it at the end of a traditional weightlifting session as like a met, kind of like as a, what we call a finisher, right, is a way to kind of get that metabolic stress at the end of you after you've done all your high force producing uh, exercises as a way to kind of get extra volume. Of, of lifting in, but without having as much of the recovery need that would happen if you were doing more eccentrically based exercises. So it allows you to add a lot of volume to that training without uh, and get more of that metabolic stress, which is also good for muscle growth and, and also, you know, obviously conditioning without the necessity of having a lot more extra recovery time. Um, so we usually add it on the end in a lot of cases. In some some cases, if you're working on peak power development, you're working it in, you know, you're going over to squat rack and then you're coming over to Proteus and doing jumps or you're you're doing something with a med ball and then you're coming over to Proteus after that and doing some shot puts on, on Proteus. So it kind of depends on how you design it and, and what you're trying to improve. Uh, you know, so sometimes it's worked in as a station and sometimes it's like a standalone session that's like 10 to 15 minutes long. Alrighty. And then, uh, just really quickly, uh, individuals decide to move forward with Proteus. Is there licensure as far as being able to run the machine? Is there a class that you have to go through? How does that work? Yeah. I mean, there's no like rule that you have to be any type of practitioner or anything to use it. Um, you know, we have PTs and strength and conditioning coaches and, you know, all sorts using it and, you know, Kairos, we offer a certification class that you get access to once you get the machine so if a if a uh you know obviously if a if a station or a facility gets a proteus we do all the onboarding teach you how to use it we have online courses that just takes an hour long long to get through but has like you know everything from how to turn it on to how to interpret the test results um and then obviously we do your one-on-one -on -one stuff and then we also have a community group 
where you can kind of almost join like interest groups, right? Where you're into whatever sports, you know, tactical athletic athletes has its own group. Um, and so you can talk to other people that are using it, how they're using it. Uh, and then obviously you can, you know, ask questions there and, you know, dive in deeper if that's what you want and need. But our customer service is like the thing that we'll, we'll never get dinged on that. You know, that's like our big, our big thing. So, but yeah, it's really for anyone and everyone. And do you have a, do you have an idea of like how many different tactical populations? Like, is there quite a few firefighter fire departments versus police uh, agencies versus military that, I would say military is probably a little bit more right now. Um, but honestly, we don't have like the saturation of that group as we do like some other, you know, like traditional sports, you know what I mean? Like baseball and, and team, the team sports, sure. you know, those are definitely our biggest uh, users right now. Um, but we have definitely have a lot of tactical athletes using it. You know, it's just whether they're using it to the level of like a, you know, those other groups are, which I think, you know, I know we talked a little bit before this, it's, it's, you know, there, there's already been this mentality in, in, uh, in that world, in the sports performance world of kind of taking that college and pro experience and kind of filtering it down and making it accessible to younger athletes and giving them those same types of resources. And I imagine, I don't know, you guys, you you guys are probably the experts. It's probably hasn't trickled down as much to, to, to this group as, no, as it could. No. We're trying. I mean, that's pretty, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why we're here today is just trying to really um, open individuals' eyes to, to everything that's out there. You know, don't be yeah. so siloed in your thinking and just being able to go out and see what's being done out there to realize that, hey, swinging a baseball bat looks kind of similar to swinging yeah. an axe. Yeah. So, uh, and once, I think of it this way, man, what doesn't get measured doesn't get managed, right? Yeah. Like it, it, you can't, if you're not measuring something, then you don't know if you can improve, you know, you don't know how to improve it, you know, and that's, that's really where we come in. Yeah, no, for sure. That's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. And then I'll put your contact information in the, in the video as well. So uh, hopefully some departments will be reaching out. Awesome. Can't wait. Alrighty. Hey, well, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys. Alrighty. Yeah. See you next time. Take care. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So I guess now we get into uh, like some movement screening technology that's out there. Um, we are currently talking to a company called Kineticense mm-hmm. who does a, uh, I think it's three-minute movement screening that yeah. you can perform on your members. It'll identify your top three areas of dysfunction and uh, actually send a, uh, like a fix via email to your people. Based off of that, which uh, logistically, you got to think about um, time. And I think a three-minute screening is pretty hard to beat. Yeah. And and we saw this with Denver. Denver, Denver does So it. they do this up in Denver. Um, and I think the really cool part about it was it it didn't require too much prep work. Because no. the captain that allowed us to watch him go through it uh, was in his EMS pants. And his boots. And his boots. Yeah. Uh, picked up a broomstick. And off he went. Yep. And it, uh, like you said, three minutes, got a full evaluation done. So the crews had come in. There was some doing, ironically, the stuff on the vault force plates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the in body, which we will discuss as far as body composition, and then the movement screening. So all four members of the crew came in. There were some uh, individuals, uh, nice lady there doing psych evals, 
occupational health dock, and then they just rotated amongst okay. each other, got back in the rig, went back to their station. They had two treadmills next to each other, right? Yep. So you could compete. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Yeah, really cool. Um, but yeah, so the movement screening, um, if we were to break this down, and when we haven't said this yet, we have, we've gone over power output, our body composition measurement, and our movement abilities. I think our three we had to call them umbrellas to be able to fit. We need to address all three so that we have a comprehensive look of someone's health. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kineticense, um, as Tony had said, really cool, simple program, um, affordable for your department. Um, it's the cost of an iPad Pro. It, literally. It's an iPad Pro, and I think they it's about uh, 280 bucks a year, I think, for unlimited assessments for your personnel. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And then if you don't want to do it through an iPad, there's a camera. There's a certain type of camera um, that is an Intel camera that they'll send you as well. Um, but super, super useful for being able to recognize those deficits. Because the cool thing and how this system works is you actually turn the iPad towards the user. So then there's a, a demonstration of what needs to be performed so that they can look at and then they can perform it. It's like eight feet away or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the guy was. Mm-hmm. But it's super easy. It's it's uh it's something that anybody could administer. Yep. Especially there's no special training. It's literally they just turn the camera and say, follow the instructions. Yeah. And they do it. And they get identified like I said, the top being able to identify your areas of dysfunction, uh, and then start to work on that over the course of a year is a huge piece that we miss. Yeah. And we gotta get past the we're we're we've grown past it and reach. Oh yeah. Like we just have to go, hey, we we're 2023 there's things out there for us to evaluate our movement what Um, do we do to evaluate like t-spine mobility what do we do to evaluate like shoulder flexion and extension you know i mean like we don't you don't capture that in uh no i mean even the old uh the old fms do you remember that from college i mean Mm -hmm. that was still a good that was a good test but it's still there's still a bit of subjectivity. That's what that's what I was gonna yeah. say. A lot of subjectivity still that you're not. It's a it's a camera that you're going. Hey, Vald has one. Um, I know oh, yeah. uh, Anthony didn't really dive into it that much, but uh, Vald has a movement screening um, camera that's super simple. Um, I think that's the part that everyone should really take home is that it's uh, whether it's a price thing. There's a different a bunch of different price points, and it can be administered by anybody for sure. Um, so on the price point thing, while we're talking about Denver, I, I don't want to forget um, as far as a body composition reading um, with something that the department should purchase. Um, there's, in, in, in my opinion, there's three tiers to this, and we've discussed this. In body, 270 is the, the smallest, most effective, affordable, mobile body composition scan. The 570, which is what we have and what Denver has and uh, a few others. I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but there's uh, quite a few departments. I want seven or eight departments that have that scale. Um, and then we get up into the bod pod, which is a little more expensive. We're now going from ten to 15000 up to about $30,000 for the bod pod. Um, again, very accurate. Um, it has more to do with displacement within the pod. Um, so... It has uh, people like yourself, larger larger individuals have an issue with the bod pod because it just isn't how big can you make this egg to fit somebody in. Um, 
And then there's the almighty gold standard DEXA scan. Yep. And uh, the cool thing is after we we went to that conference, uh, we were walking by that DEXA booth, just mm-hmm. kind of like puppy, sad puppy eyes, mm-hmm. like, wish I could have one. <laughs> and the guy started talking to us, and we were talking about, like, and I had a DEXA uh, at the University of Missouri. And uh, it's a 15-plus-ish minute scan which logistically is a nightmare mm-hmm. and it was, you know, probably six figures. Yeah. Right. For it. And I think you had to be some sort of technician. Like, I don't know if it was an x-ray. I don't remember what it was. They, Dexa does have a, or yeah, they have a certification to they be able a certification to run, that. To run it. Mm-hmm. We were telling them about some of the woes, like obviously cost for us is out. We can't do over six figures time. Like we, we can't, we have to be as efficient with everything as possible. So a 15 minute scan as silly as that sounds for 700 people over the course of a year is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Right. And the newer model, I don't know if it was, was it GE or there was a, cause there was two different brands that made anyway. The one that they had was like 60, 60 grand, 60 yeah, grand. Yeah. And it was down to three, yeah, three, four minute for a scan and and that's the gold standard like you can see bone density bilateral muscle mass bilateral lean muscle mass bilateral fat like fat composition of your right arm fat composition of your left arm total body fat i mean it's so what was uh what was chief whitlock what was his uh i'm sorry i just sounded really good i haven't called him that dr chief whitlock dr chief whitlock when he was speaking about bone density what was the why why should we be worried about that as far as first responders well it, shoot man i don't remember what he, what his thing we should be worried about it obviously because uh if we're not performing enough like strength based activities mm-hmm. right and if we're uh deficient in nutrients and if we've got some hormonal issues uh we're at risk for breakages and wasn't he talking about how he, he had noticed some and younger and younger, younger firefighters, younger firefighters, where it right. was like that that rapid decrease in bone density. Which right. now, if we do have that DEXA scan in place, it all of this all goes back to having a baseline on your personnel. Oh yeah, that's that's really what it is. Early detection by having a baseline, mm-hmm. and then being able to make the appropriate adjustments and providing the proper resources someone to be able to return to their baseline if anything happens whether it's physical psychological if it's you know what i mean if someone just happens to make a right turn in life that's why i like the tiering system that we spoke uh, to chief Tolliver about oh, yeah. is because it's not a overnight tier one to tier four you know you don't you don't just fall off a cliff like that within 12 months it's tier one high end tier one bottom of tier one oh i tier two Oh, all right. Now we're now you're in tier three. You better fix that. Where now these types of assessments and evaluations that are done, which are recommended by 1582 and 1583, we do them annually. We are able to take this data from a DEXA scan and be able to analyze and say, hey, from 25 to 30 for individuals that are bid to battalion one or in in busier stations. We can now do an annual training group with everyone across the department and say, hey, these are what we're recognizing in the trends within your body composition or if we're using the Proteus or the Vault or 
whatever we're doing, now we can technically prescribe, for lack of a better term, of everyone across the board, be aware of this because this isn't just an individual. This is a trend amongst all of us. Well, so I, the other thing I like, if you think about it, if you're looking at, and, and this would never happen in our careers, but if you think about, you could come in with all of this technology. You have a Proteus. You've got uh, screening devices for movement. And then let's say like over the course of a decade, you've noticed that you know, somebody's shoulders are in a different position, right? You could potentially work with an occupational therapist and see, hey, I mean, obviously it, humans are more forward-rounded because we sit at our computers and sit down in chairs all day, right? But then if we're in a different position, like if our bodies are, are anatomically changing, is it is it our air packs? Is it the rigs that we're on? Is it the movements that we're doing at work, right? Like there's all these things that would be like, hey, I've, I've seen that firefighters have this different anatomical difference than police officers, different mm-hmm. than, you know, mm-hmm. military. Yeah. What are our different like occupational hazards, like our positions in our rigs. You know what I mean? Like there's things that we can start breaking down that we're not even doing yet. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of cool stuff that like this technology provides. And like we kind of talked on it, touched on it with, with Anthony a little bit. Like it would be neat to be able to see what our job does to our body. And if we possess the ability to overcome like those forces, right? Those external forces that we're constantly placing on ourselves if we don't have the ability to overcome them in a safe movement pattern, we're going to do it in an unsafe movement pattern and risk injury. Mm-hmm. Right. So then now we can start building up like everybody's like, well, we need to do, you know, like a big push in the safety committee was obviously like facing the rig when you get off of it. Right. Sure. I can get on board just really hard when somebody's walking out of their house with skin dripping off of them because they've been burnt to like, hold on and then turn around and step off the rig like we're we're all going to get off that rig and go help that person mm-hmm. the thing is like maybe we see what those forces are when we step off that rig yeah. for somebody and if we have the ability to overcome those forces right yeah then we should relatively and you can't prevent all injuries no but you can see like somebody not being able to overcome a, a specific amount of force on their body uh is going to get injured so then, then we can direct our physical training to help aid them in the function that is their job. Yeah, so. and that is, and I and I saw it in the uh, second academy. I taught uh, gentlemen step off the back of the rig with the full hose bundle, um, hydrant pack, and he stepped sideways instead of stepping parallel to the rig. He stepped perpendicular to the rig, full gear. Your ankle's not designed to do that, mm-hmm. and down he goes. And it was, well, why, why is that? And then, you know, we've heard of people re- reaching in, grabbing for those of you that load your cross legs with, with loops. And we don't know how much force that takes to pull out. And then when it's wet, is it, is it heavier? How much heavier? So being able to understand. Well, then think about height. Like I can reach it from the ground, right? Mm-hmm. We have folks that have to get on the platform and then step 24 28 inches off of a side of a rig to the earth in that compromised position. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I read a, uh, I did a, a class on fascia, uh, like 
tissue resiliency and stuff. And they were taking measurements of like uh, javelin throwers, like the fascia they have, like fascia is like paper thin, mm -hmm. right? Javelin throwers across their upper shoulder girdle into their pectoral was like two millimeters thick, <laughs> right? Because they built that up over time with all their throws, right? Yeah. Uh, only on one side too. I'm only on sure. one side, yeah. They didn't buy like this side. <laughs> their, their dumb arm didn't yeah. didn't get any fascia build up, right? Mm -hmm. So then you're looking at like uh, maybe that's some stuff we need to look into. Maybe over the course of a career, I'm not saying that we have two millimeters of fascia, but we have a bilateral indifference for sure because you only can do a right handed hose pull on yeah. our department, right? Yeah. We just talked about I I don't know if I've ever thrown a ladder with my left hand. I only use my right hand. I don't think. I truly don't think I could. I have you thrown a ball with your left hand? Yeah. Have you seen how that comes out? <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, the, those measurements, like, um, like the Proteus, being able to have something on a pendulum where you can actually measure that, and and we were going to talk about the ohm here. Uh, why why are you a big fan of the ohm? Oh yeah, the the ohms, uh, kind of like the when. Uh, when Will was talking about the Proteus being like that movement in water, and he, he even mentioned like how the uh, the iso it, it's isoton it's a it's a like a standard isotonic, but he said like isokinetic is the same speed of the movement, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this ohm is an isokinetic machine, so no matter it's like the biodex, like the biodex was like a, we used it for rehab, and it was a machine that you could change the angles of the arms, and like after a knee injury you could rehab it, right? And the reason that it works for rehabilitation, for building strength and regaining power and everything was because uh, that constant speed adjusted dependent on your output, right? So like if you were weak in an area, it would lighten the load. And if you were strong in an area, it would heavy the load, but that speed stayed the same. So like he was saying, like it might, when you're doing a curl, it might be slow here. And as you get higher, then you can speed up because you've got, a stronger position, body position. Mm -hmm. But no matter what you did, it would be a constant movement. Even when you deadlift, when you deadlift, you naturally have to slow acceleration when you get to the top, right? Yeah. Because you're, you got to stop. Yeah. You got to stop moving it. <laughs> uh, with an isokinetic machine, it doesn't, it doesn't have to stop. You don't have to slow it down. It's going to be the same speed the entire movement. And the cool thing about this ohm is it's on a tether. So you get a hundred feet to where you could, you could position yourself in that precarious hose advance we do with the with the right arm holding a loop and a loop around the arm, and you could march a hundred feet with that at different speeds and resistances. And guess what? You could do your left side too, right? You could train bilaterally in compromised multiplane areas, and uh, in a very safe and risk averse and even rehabilitative way, build strength and endurance and power. And so that's why I. I think I would love to have a wall of ohms and a wall of proteuses, you know, in a in, in an ideal setting uh, for firefighter health and wellness. Yeah, I mean, be awesome. I I still think there's some value in a barbell and dumbbells, and it, and I think that we need to we need to incorporate you know a lot of like uh, a lot of like orbital movements, like a lot of throw medicine ball throws, a lot of mace bell work. Huh. Uh, because we live in that realm, Which, we we don't live in the we don't live in just the up down realm. No, we live in this three hundred and sixty degree realm and weird, awful, untrained. Uh, how many times have you carried 
many times have you carried any patient, but like a big patient with an auto pulse doing CPR while they're in a tarp? Down, down the a, smallest walkway, walkway or stairway you've like a, ever seen. For real, right? Yeah. And you're on your toes and you're holding them with one arm and you're leaning in weird spots. I mean, like we need to train in this crazy, chaotic, 360 degree environment. Yeah. And it's hard to do that safe, right? Yeah. And that's where the ISO, that's where the Proteus comes in and like the uh, isokinetic, like ohm, the, they call it the delta kinetic because mm-hmm. it's even uh, a little bit more fine-tuned. But like the ohm, uh, training systems are fantastic. And that's, yeah. that's where I think, cause we need to also be safe. We can't afford injuries just yeah. like pros can't afford injuries. But we, when we're injured, it hurts everybody, our brothers and sisters, yep. right? Because now they're forced to fill in yeah. that backfill. So it's a nasty, uh, web that it creates, um, which leads right into when you said that of, um, having a wall of ohms and a wall of proteuses. And now in my mind, everybody has, a Panoe backpack on. Um, for those of you, Panoe's gotten pretty big. Some people have seen them before. If you've seen the little blue backpacks and they have uh, what looks like a CPAP mask on with the hose going into the backpack, um, that is a um, a tool that is used uh, to be able to regulate and monitor uh, specifically people's breathing patterns um, and the chemicals that in or in your breath when you're excelling. Um, there is a lot of data and a lot of technology um, that they're able that they're putting out now that they're able to provide. Um, and I'll put this up: um, metabolic efficiencies, um, your, your a lot of your readings on how you burn fat at the rate of which you're burning fat, um, what you should be, what you should be eating, um, the stability within your breathing. Uh, there's so much that these things do, but for us specifically, uh, for those of you that are listening, uh, your VO2 max, you're no longer needed to be connected to this heart rate monitor on a treadmill with a shirt that, I mean, for those of you that have seen the shirt, um, the whole nine. It's there's hot. No, yeah. <laughs> there's no reason for that anymore. Uh, the Panoe is a, is a small little backpack that you can put on, um, and, and I would be interested, and I'm hoping that eventually we'll be able to get our hands on one of these and start... Um, putting on individuals that are doing the CPAT or just regular firefighter functionality to be able to start collecting uh, standardized data for firefighters across the board. I mean, even if we came up with a, never on a national level, but maybe locally in the Valley, like a a standardized firefighter consumption test, right? Yeah. And then you've got like a 15 to 20 minute work, functional work capacity test that we can see what's going on breathing patterns it because now your your work of breathing is different right like the breathing with an air pack is different than breathing without one i mean just in the environment so I th- yeah i think those are all pretty cool uh components of that and, and i think they're using those at ufc pretty regularly too yeah That's they're, they've made their way into they're all all of these items that we've discussed are uh i, I would say heavily used in the professional sports world um but just getting it to try to cross that bridge. I think Vald has done it more than the other ones that we've discussed today, um, but it's only a matter of time sure. before somebody uh, makes that happen. Um, so cool. That brings us to the end of the episode, which is our clips. We're going to do two today. Let's do two. Let's do two. We're going to do two of them. We know that the presence of oxygen is the absence of disease. 
Yet after the age of 30, 95% of human beings will never sprint again. We stop using the lobes of our lungs, two thirds of our lung capacity, and we begin to only use the apex, the top third of our lungs to breathe for the balance of our lifetime. It takes eight minutes in the morning to sit quietly with no gym, no fancy equipment, nothing but yourself and your breath and draw air deep into the lobes of our lungs, filling the two thirds of our lung capacity that we rarely use to change the oxygen tension in our tissues, elevate our mood, improve our emotional state, rid the body of toxic gases and flood the blood with oxygen. It's possible to change the oxygen tension in your tissues with eight short minutes of breath work, three rounds of 30 breaths with a breath hold in between. Do this for 30 days and watch the trajectory of your life change. Well, the first thing I get out of all this, and this is the reason I like this one in this episode is that you can have all the technology in the world. If you're not doing some simple stuff, right? Like nothing's going to, uh, you still have to do work, right? And you still have to do simple things. You can have all these metrics and stuff, but if you're not actually uh, doing basic stuff, it doesn't matter, Yeah. right? Uh, There's a ton of like guided exercises like this uh, on YouTube. Um, I got introduced by uh, Engineer Styles. I don't think he's arson yet, is he? He's in post, I think, yeah. but, uh, to Wim Hof in the Wim Hof, uh, breathing and, uh, method and the cold plunges and stuff. And, uh, I, I start my mornings off with this, but the breath holds are a little progressive in the middle. So like you'll do these 30 deep breaths and then you'll hold your breath for 30 seconds You do 30 deep breaths and you hold your breath for, you know, a minute you do 30 deep breaths, you hold your breath for a minute and a half kind of a deal. And then I usually jump in the shower Every, every morning? Yeah. Have I mean, there's you, mornings There's mornings like at work I don't. There's mornings that I'll get woke up to a call and I'll just come back and have a cup of coffee and be angry. <laughs> have you seen a difference? Uh, I mean, like, you mean like psychologically or performance? And, and any. Where you where you would say, I feel like this or, oh, that okay, I didn't do my breathing um, this morning. You know, I, like, if I don't do it for the day, I don't, I don't notice it. But I, I, I think that, uh. It's more of like a, it's more of a psychological thing for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not also measuring output. I don't know what, I'm not on a spirometer. You know what I mean? I don't know if uh, anything, and I don't really live in the distance realm for yeah. cardiovascular, you know? Yeah. I've had a, I've had a little bit of an off year <laughs> with performance. So, yeah. uh, but I, I noticed that uh, psychologically it's, it's kind of like a nice reset. You know, it's a nice start to your day. And then, I, I can't tell you a physiological difference from getting in cold showers except for the fact that I hate it. It's and awful. I, and I do it just because I hate it, you know what yeah. I mean? And I like the fact that when I get out of it, you know, so it's like one of those things that it makes the world sweeter because you've endured some pain, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And I've and I've done some of this stuff, but I, I can honestly tell you I've never committed to it. I've, I've done it whether it's in a sauna or steam room, um, or if I'm um, just out and about and trying to calm down after a workout, I'll, I'll do it. But I've never have committed to um, the daily regimen of, of the breathing exercises. But I think it's now making its way um, 
around now due to things like this on social media where sure. people are going, oh, I'll, I'll try. I mean, yeah. it takes two minutes and it's going to, I'll try it. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's, let's do the second one there. Let's do it. Can you not eat until 2 p.m.? Drink coffee, drink water, and in the morning, get up and just get on either run or get on some exercise bike and just pedal like someone's chasing you with a syringe full of poison. When you've been asleep all night, your fuel reserves, like you've got fuel in your fat, got fuel in your muscles that can be burned, and you've got fuel in your liver. It's called glycogen. And when you wake up early, all of that is as low as it's going to be because you haven't been eating it. Gotcha. And so if you exercise then, your body starts dropping into your body fat stores quicker. Okay. So that's, I've been, due to the academy, I've been getting up and training super early and have, um, but I haven't been doing this, which I'm going to start doing now. I am too. Uh, <laughs> um. It's awful. It just, to the idea or concept of like just waking up, putting on your shoes, and then gunning it um, like that. But theoretically, it makes sense. But this also ties right back into you don't need all of this. No, it's not. There's. It's not necessary. I, I would still. I'm still going to wear my heart rate monitor, so that way I'm able to to see exactly what's going on. Um, but there should be. Um, a lot of these things, the last two videos have tapped in on things that don't take time, very little effort besides making the decision to do it. Yep. Um, and you should reap the benefits. I mean, how easy is it in reality? I know it's hard, but how easy is it to wake up 20 minutes earlier or 30 minutes earlier in your day? Right. I mean, like there's a big difference between four 30 and five for waking up. Yes. Like psychologically, mm-hmm. it's 30 minutes. You know, like I, if you wake up at five right now, you could wake up at 4.30, just get outside and go running, right? Or whatever, even if you don't have any equipment, you could just go outside and run. Or if you're in an apartment, you could just go in the stairwell and just run stairs for 15 minutes, right? Yeah. And get back to your apartment or your bedroom, do some breathing for eight minutes, two to three minutes in the cold shower and start your day and be done. In a total of 45 minutes, you can do both. That's what I'm saying. Like if 15 minute, yeah, I mean like for sure, 30 minutes, you could probably get everything done Yeah, that you need to do physically for the day and then just water and coffee till two and pizza and donuts after. So such a great <laughs> concept. Um, <laughs> All right, so uh, thank you guys. That was a, a real brief. Well, I shouldn't say brief. It was probably our longest episode, um, but we just touched a little bit on all the different technologies that are available out there um, to be able to assist you all with taking care of yourself. Um, and like I said, I mean, we've always said it. If you guys have any input, any questions, um, things that you think we should cover or items that we missed, uh, there's nothing that says we can't go back and, yeah. and do this again. For sure. Um, so cool kind of thing. Alrighty. We'll see you guys on the uh 10th and we're doing 10. So this is nine. We'll do 10 and then we'll do a farewell 11. A ta-ta. Yeah. Okay. So we have one more, okay. uh, with, uh, physical. the 11th one, we're going to get canceled. But. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be done. We're going to hang it up. Uh, this has been, this has been awesome. Uh, 
next one we're going to do with a physical therapist that has been managing uh, injuries specifically for firefighters and the trends that he's been seeing um, amongst, amongst our workforce. Um, then, like Tony had said, we'll do an 11th uh, ta-ta, and then we'll – this has been awesome. So, cool. See you guys next episode. See you.